The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 34. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter, a.k.a. Father Fett, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. Today we're discussing Chapter 8 of Star Wars The Mandalorian. It's titled Redemption. And so joining me on the panel today, our first up is Andrew Hermes. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Father. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Second up this evening, we have Thomas Sanherjo. Hey, Thomas. How's it going, Father? Very well. Third is Angela Cialana. Hey, Angela. I'm wearing a fur cape, just like my new favorite character, the armor. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and fourth uh, this evening is Mike Creevy. Hey, Mike. Hey, Father. It's exciting to be here. Yeah. Well, we've had about a week longer than normal to digest this episode. Uh, and we, we took a it. Yeah, we took a break from recording <laughs> over Christmas break, but uh, we're back to talk about uh, Chapter 8 of, of The Mandalorian. So it's titled Redemption, and uh, Disney's summary is this. Uh, the Mandalorian comes face to face with an unexpected enemy. I don't know if I've said this before, but I love how purposely vague those descriptions are. And, mm -hmm. and this one, yes. this one's excellent too. Like the whole concept of face to face as it plays out in this episode is phenomenal. Oh yeah. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you actually you've got me thinking on things that I hadn't considered. Um, <laughs> just a, a couple points uh, for the listeners. Uh, this is, of course, the the final chapter of season one of The Mandalorian. It's the season finale. It was released on December 27th of uh, just last year, but a week and a half ago. And it's uh, the conclusion of this sort of two-parter that was set up uh, with uh, chapter seven. So kind of finalizes a few things of this season and opens things up for season two. And so starting right off the bat, what are you, what was your guys' impressions of, of the episode? This episode was a movie <laughs> in and of itself. It was a movie and it, it was literally four or five episodes just crammed into one. Didn't feel rushed, but felt like it was just so much. It was like drinking from a fire hose the whole time. <laughs> yeah, rarely do you get a season finale that wraps up the season very well in the storylines, but also leaves you wanting more for season two or, or teases something that, you know, usually they do one or the other or fail at both. But uh, <laughs> I think they stuck the landing there. Obviously, with that that ending that we'll dive into, and just uh, all the characters that we've met throughout the season, um, just closing off uh, their their storylines, and at least knowing where they're going to be heading into season two. I think the um, I mentioned in the Rise of Skywalker um, episode we did that there's there's some sort of unique joy and, and just kind of overall um, 
ener- energizing kind of experience I get when I go to a Star Wars movie uh, where, you know, you're, you're in the audience, you're, you know, you're able to be there for that sort of relatively short amount of time and kind of have that, that experience. Um, but, you know, like it, this, this whole Star Wars universe that, that has so many different, you know, unique uh, features and texture to it and everything. Uh, for me personally, I gotta say, like I've, I've overall, I feel like I've enjoyed this show and I look forward to this show uh, more than the last few years here, at least, you know, than the movies even. Um, and I, you know, again, I love the movies, you know, absolutely. But, but I just, I'm really enjoying this. I'm enjoying this kind of uh, uh, way of experiencing that universe. Um, so I, I'm very excited for season two. And this episode just sort of had my jaw on the floor <laughs> for most of it. So I loved it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, over the Christmas, the holidays, uh, it was really interesting to go to like family gatherings and stuff and talk to family who I know are just casual fans of Star Wars. Um, and they were telling me that they got Disney Plus to see The Mandalorian and they like it a lot. And it was really fascinating. So, um, yeah, I I am enjoying that that experience as well. And um, this episode, uh, it reminded me of watching a Star Wars movie in the best possible way. I think I could probably just echo all of you. It 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 <laughs> I, as much as I did enjoy the Rise of Skywalker, there was something um, just just awesome about this season finale that wasn't quite there for me in the Rise of Skywalker. Um, if I could summarize, I think what sounds like most of our or all of our experiences of of this episode was if you could capture uh, the child's expression of joy as IG-11 is riding into town <laughs> with uh, the child in his in his front pouch. <laughs> yes, that's about right. Like super ears, fast, ears super exhilarating. Yeah. 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 And he giggled, too. Right? <laughs> he did. I love the voice over the comm link. He's like, what? You know, <laughs> I really want to see that turned into a, a roller coaster ride at Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> oh man, IG11's final ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. So with that, we'll we'll kind of get into more of that, and let's uh, jump into the to the review of the the episode. And this episode started um, on the edge of a cliffhanger from last episode, where the child had been picked up by one of the scout troopers. And so we we start this episode off with those scout troopers arriving at the edge of the city with the child. And we have one of the funniest <laughs> scenes that I think I've ever seen in, in at least this, uh. this, this show for sure. Um, but also the one that evoked a lot of strong feelings. Yeah. I tell you, I, I have been so impressed consistently with the people in helmets and their acting in this oh, uh, series. Yeah. It has been amazing how much emotion they have been able to get out with the helmets on. You can't see any facial expressions, but they still, you know what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. He, he says, uh, um, I just, I rewatched it today and I, I, I love that, you know, and he's like, you know, didn't you know he's trying to see him in the in the pouch and he's like, Yeah. Didn't you just hear what he said? He's like, he just wiped out a you know, like wiped out a bunch of his own trips just to make a point. He's like, I get that point. Yeah, there's no mistake no mistake that it's a Taika Watiti episode right oh, from yeah. the get. Oh yeah. That yeah. Scene. yeah. <laughs> and when they're both shooting too, like that was yeah. one of my favorite yeah. things. Yes. Like that they're just like they don't even say anything, they're just like eh. well, Wait, was, when the when the second one pulls out his pulls out his gun to like try and prove a point and then he, 
he starts missing too, and you're like, oh no! You're like just shake the you're like shake the blaster, like Meh. it was. We can't shoot. It was, <laughs> um, sort of explicitly made quote unquote canon. Their their uh, ability to miss consistently. Right. Like we've all known that they were bad shooters, but this kind of just laid it out there. No no ifs ands or buts about it. Which is something was, they can do about it. You know, it just is. <laughs> and they, they aren't really that bothered by it. They're just, yeah, they just kind of shrug it off. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they have that that interaction. Um, I really wanted to hurt the scout troopers, though, when they were, <laughs> oh, dude. They were punching yeah. I had a, the child. A storm troop, a stormtrooper helmet ornament on my Christmas tree, and it's wooden. And I told my husband, like, I want to set that thing on fire now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the child was hit three different times in that whole exchange. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was it was overkill. Yeah, it was bad. But but he took it. I'm, I'm more yeah. impressed than that. <laughs> well, and it's, well, he, it's, he didn't it's even the, cry. Yeah, it's the casual violence that yeah. really that makes it so. And and, it, and it's so yeah. it's so true to the stormtrooper, right? Where you mm-hmm. you and it's so true to like the the concept of. Of of any situation in which you've dehumanized your your opponent and yep. you've made it into yeah. something that isn't even worth your consideration and um, just the casual violence that that was so and mm. they did that so well it was so hard to watch yeah, yeah. so hard to watch yeah. <laughs> just, it's just cruel you know yeah. like that's yeah mm. yep so we get IG eleven to the rescue <laughs> which. I re-listened to our podcast from chapter seven and you. Thomas, I think you were very clearly yeah. the one who called this. I knew it. I knew it. I knew you had to be the one that was going to come in and, and save the day, guns blazing. That was awesome. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's exactly what he does. He takes out both of those scout troopers and, and picks up picks up the child. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I, I, the title Redemption, I think, is, is very clearly applied to IG-11. At least, at least that's, that's how I read it. Well, I think you got you got a you got a few layers of people that that are redeemed in this one. Um, you know, you've got you definitely have his, and I think his mm-hmm. is the forefront. But then you also have a little bit of of each character kind of coming back into their own. Uh, you know, because because Kara's been out of everything, and now she's more heavily involved than uh, I think she expected at this point, mm. and. Um, and that's uh, and so each one of them has this little moment where they have to kind of fully re-embrace this thing that the child has now started, like this almost revolution among these uh, the smaller group of people to to kind of re-engage with the world after the horrors of the fall of the empire. Well, grief, Karga, yeah, in, mm-hmm. in a particular, like he, he's you know, like at first it was just opportunistic, and then last episode it was just sort of desperate, but now I'm I like him again. I always liked him, but but now it's like he's. He's still looking out for himself, but but he has a debt, you know, to the child, and that seems pretty firm now, you know. So uh, yeah, it's it's it, the one thing I was thinking, and I made a note of this was my first bullet point. I never expected, quite frankly, this much uh, sort of you know Catholic title and vocabulary um, all throughout mm-hmm. this show. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had yeah. sin, redemption, uh, you know, you you uh, creed, the, the presence of yeah. creed, you yeah. know. Uh, sanctuary you know like all these things are just kind of cool yeah we'll get into the creed a little bit more here in a in a mm. bit because that that played a, a role in this and that that next scene that that comes is 
is also very enlightening because we have uh, the standoff between Moff Gideon and Mando, uh, Kara, and Grief in the in the cantina, and they try to try to get into the sewers and they they can't because the sewer vent is sealed and and even with Kara shooting at it, it it doesn't open up. But then we get that monologue from Moff Gideon where we learn quite a number of things about uh, the the characters that that we've grown to love and. Um, first up, we we learn that that Kara's full name is Kara Cynthia Dune, but that she's from the planet Alderaan, mm-hmm. which was which was really interesting, and that that gives a much deeper reason to why she dislikes the Empire so much. Um, we also get Mando's full name revealed, Din Djarin, which Pedro Pascal inadvertently slipped in an interview <laughs> weeks ago, but yeah. We didn't say we can it. finally talk yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's canon now. It's real. It's, yeah. it's, it's not just the slip of the tongue. The, the spelling is different, though. I looked up the interview from when he, uh, he had it. He had it, um, I think, D-Y-N, and his, the official name is D-I-N, and then last name D-J-A-R-I-N, which, again, has a slightly different spelling. So he was mostly right. Well, he gave that he gave that interview um, face to face. It wasn't yep. a written interview. So somebody so, in their transcription. Somebody, yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. Um, we also hear of uh, the Siege of Mandalore and an event referred to as the Night of a Thousand Tears, um, where the imp- Imperials laid waste to a bunch of Mandalorian recruits. And... Angela, correct me if I'm wrong. We haven't actually seen that in any sort of media yet. No, um, there is in. So dealing with the Clone Wars series, there there is something called the Siege of Mandalore, but it's clearly not what um, Gideon is talking about here. So that's a that's a little bit confusing. But um, as far as the timeline goes, if you ever hear about the Siege of Mandalore that we Probably, I think we'll see in the next Clone Wars season, um, because Dave Filoni's been talking about that. Um, that's different from what Gideon is talking about here. So, yeah, we haven't seen that yet. Okay, but we might possibly hear in in February. Well, I'm thinking it's different because okay. the siege, there was a siege on Mandalore during the Clone Wars, but uh, this is different, I believe, than than that but i yeah, think we'll it, see it, it looks like it'll be i mean because yeah that would be i mean clone wars would be you know when uh mando's a, a kid because it's it's you know you see the separatist droids and stuff so yeah I, i'm i'm still trying to figure that out i mean it, it seems like it must have happened i don't know maybe some like last minute you know desperate move by the empire like in the very mm-hmm. end of that war you know because mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's not addressed in rebels either um mm-hmm. so i don't know well i'm sure they'll fill it in at some point there was some and i and i forget exactly what i was reading but there was some seems somebody was linking this to the same time frame as as the purge so i, th- right. I think you guys could right. be very right the end of the clone wars and um yeah i'm sure we'll get a, a more deeper explanation at some point through some some media I like, you know, coming coming back to that theme of the Catholic stuff that appears in this. I, I love the weaving of uh, this in indigenous American uh, sort of feel with the Catholic uh, kind of doctrine and and, uh, and language that you have in the Mandalorian culture. 
And so you see here another one of those things where it's like you've got this Night of a Thousand Tears thing, which is a very kind of you know, Indigenous American feel to it. But then at the same time, they're talking about a list of records of people who have been in, which is a very Catholic thing, you know, like the book of names mm -hmm. <laughs> of, the, of the petitioners or uh, people who have gone through RCIA or something like that. And uh, it's, you know, they're, they're very record keeping, but they're also very kind of tribal in the way that they, that they deal with things. It's a really cool feel that they give to the, the culture that way. Yeah. So the other thing that we learned then uh, with Grief Karga is that he's a disgraced magistrate. So I don't know any. What did you take that to mean? Yeah. From where? Like, <laughs> I'm curious. I was wondering if he was a magistrate related to Navarro. And in that sense, does his disgrace have to do with the what happened with the the um the uh, what am I trying to say the bounty hunters or oh, the um, guild the guild I don't because I think... because he he talks about Din Djarin being a de decommissioned Mandalorian hunter so it was like okay decommissioned hunter does that refer to him being a decommissioned bounty hunter. Or does that refer to something else? Because mm. clearly he was still a Mandalorian, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Gr yeah. <laughs> Grief Karga doesn't seem to want to leave Navarro. You know, we'll see that at the, but, you know, like he's, he could maybe, but yeah, he's, there does seem to be some affinity for that place. I, I don't know. Yeah. Some of the way he talks about it. It, it. It's possible that he was like an Imperial magistrate for the planet. Mm -hmm. And then when the Empire fell, he was, according to character, an opportunist and decided right. to, you know, try and change the change the system so that it wasn't dependent on the Empire anymore. Right. Made the Bounty Hunters Guild and kind of took it from there. That's that's that was my interpretation of it. But it's really like it's open to learning much more about the character and is really a cool insight to, oh, he's got a history that's even bigger than what we know of. And that's Kara had mentioned that they the the empire had a really long presence there, yep. or that it was one of the last places to fall, kind of thing. So you know, if if he was there, that was a part of it. So yeah, that would make sense. Well, and even uh, Moff Gideon calls Kara out fully for being a rebel, um, but doesn't right. doesn't equate rebel with uh, with with uh, grief, just a disgraced magistrate. Yeah, we'll we'll find out more. I'm sure uh, next season, hopefully. Um, we, we then get this incredible line from Moff Gideon as he threatens to destroy the building. Uh, I just kind of wrote in my notes that I just, I loved how upfront and honest he was about his ambitions and like a lot of villains tend to like, you know, try to get the, get the hero to trust them, but then betray them and backstab them. And, and Moff Gideon was just upfront and he said, I will act with my own self-interest and like, which at this time involves your cooperation and benefit. So that was, I, I, yeah, he just embraced his, his villain side. And I was, I was glad to see that. Yeah. Very much like, uh, his character in Breaking Bad, Gus Fring, just, <laughs> <laughs> he's no, no BS. He just tells it like it is. And you know, you just have to deal with it. I think he's been on, he, I think he's had like nine minutes of screen time or something. And he's already my honest <sighs> to God, like he's only Thrawn is ahead of him behind like Vader and the Emperor for me in terms of Star Wars wow. villains. He's, he is one of my Dude. favorite villains already. I just have a feeling about him. And and then that was before the whole end of this. So, <laughs> yeah. So now I'm, I'm just like, what? It's a bold statement. Uh, yeah. Well, he's, he's, I think he's well cast. He's very well cast. He's got it. He's got an incredible presence. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, speaks to his character and he, cre- the he creeps you out. Like, yeah, you know, you're sitting yeah. in the comfort of your own living room and I like, I'm afraid of this man. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he's a long time ago in a galaxy far from it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, like I'm <laughs> looking around the corner for him, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a good villain. <laughs> and just the way his his TIE fighter landed, it was so like yeah. I've never seen a TIE fighter land like that. It was it was yes. so like yeah. grandiose and like over the top. <laughs> like you must have you must have had it like custom fitted to, to, to do some of those things. But but he's also slightly unhinged because even with yeah. like the, the yeah. scout trooper dialogue and everything, like he just killed someone <laughs> for <laughs> for disagreeing with him. Like he's but he's perfectly he's perfectly uh he's an exemplar of the empire. Yep. And again, that's what you get a lot of in this episode. It's just the, the example of the empire is, is um, slightly unhinged, terrifying. And it's just kind of calm uh, presence, but that fringe of possibly going crazy and then completely overpowered in the end of all things. Right. Uh, yeah. so you know, the next thing they bring out the big gun yeah. and it's like, OK, <laughs> yeah, well, that, and that's again like, the, you know, this is, you know, talk about rebels, of course, some other day. But I think of, you know, like Thrawn when he's you know on the assembly line and like very calmly has that guy test his work, you know, and it's mm-hmm. just so brutal and terrifying. But he's like just so doesn't even bat an eye. So, yeah, that that is it's a, it's a well done element. So Moff Gideon gives them until nightfall to determine whether or not they're going to surrender. And uh, Grief and Kara and Mando or Din at this point, we know who he is, uh, begin kind of debating that, whether what they're going to do. And Grief is open to negotiate and Kara is not. Uh, she had an interesting line. She she was afraid of being uploaded to a mind flayer. Stranger things like what? Um, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I was. Um, I was listening to other people talk about this, and somebody mentioned the Borg Gullet from um, oh, Rogue yeah. One. Yep. Yeah, and it's like, right. oh, maybe that was known as a mind flare. Huh. Who knows? <coughs> well, and and grief didn't because he just called it wartime propaganda. He had no idea yeah. what it was, or he had he didn't think that it was real. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, that was the clearest connection that I had ever heard of of a mind flare was that connection to Rogue One. Well, there's also I think this is going to tie my my take on this was that it's going to tie back into the First Order and how it is that they brainwash people into being uh, stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. And I, and that, the, because of all of the strings that they're pulling around this stuff, I think that's going to be a real a theme that they really focus on of um the stormtrooper being mind controlled and why it was that Finn and some of the other characters could be kind of, you know, uh, taken out of that situation Mm -hmm. or or wake up from that situation. And then it was deeper than just a, well, you've been raised that way, or you've been, you know, just plain conditioned uh, through propaganda and all that kind of stuff. But like, there was actually something there. And since she's a soldier, I think that her fear is that going, you know, being captured, that's what's going to happen to her, that she's going to be turned into this, shell of a person that is used for such an evil purpose quite a legitimate scare um din at this point reveals that that he knows who moff gideon is because uh he has some history with him because moff gideon knows his name but he made the comment that it wasn't because it wasn't on mandalore that he had this connection and he gives this this interesting uh 
description of what being a Mandalorian is. He said it, it being a Mandalorian isn't a race, it's a creed. As he looks at Apollo Creed and says, <laughs> I caught that too. That was, that was awesome. I was like, really, guys? You're going to do that? It's a little I mean, long. It's taking away TT, man. It's taking away TT. You can't just let that be an awesome line. Like. So meta. So meta. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But going back to uh, to Catholic imagery there, that's that's – uh, essentially what the, the Christian creed is too, that, that we, you know, uh, being a Christian is not a, a blood related thing. Um, being Jewish was, was part of being the descendants, um, of, of the Jewish people, but, but being baptized into the, to the Catholic faith, um, is not something that we have because of blood, but it's because we have professed the creed and have been baptized. Or if we were baptized as a child, our parents professed the creed. And um, for us, and then we were baptized. So I, I loved that that connection too. That uh, that's how that's how Din can be Mandalorian, even though he wasn't born on Mandalore, um, because he's he's accepted and dedicated himself to the to the creed. And maybe how someone else who will remain nameless for now could possibly be Mandalorian also. <laughs> there's <laughs> still, a few there's, decades, but we'll... there's, yeah, still debate on that, I guess. Um, <laughs> And it's at that point that we get this full flashback to, to Din's rescue as a child. And so we, we see explicitly that, that there was this battle with super battle droids and, and Din's parents are apparently killed. And Din is rescued by a group of Mandalorians. And, a special group of Mandalorians. Yeah. Um, I don't know much was about there, it. But... This kind of bothered me. I mean, did I miss something? Why didn't his parents just go in with him? Like, it seemed like there was a lot of room down there. I know, it was, right? it was like the second they closed the door, they were just gone. I'm like, well, they, where are they Maybe going? They had to go I, somewhere and do something. We yeah, needed, I, I we mean, it just kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah. Maybe they were important, like um, part of the local government or something. And See, they that's had to I'm go wondering. take care of yeah. some business. I was wondering about that with, with like, why, why is he, like, why does, um, why does Moff Gideon know his name? That's that's part of what I'm wondering too. Like, was he actually some sort of you know child of local leaders there? Like, would, that was something I was wondering about. If there's like more to his bloodline or something, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, maybe we'll find well, out. Well, um, did you want to talk about Death Watch? Yes. No, I, I want okay. you to because I know I know very very little on this. <laughs> well, and you guys that have watched Clone Wars, you can jump in here. But yes. um, I I was very surprised that this was Death Watch because Death Watch was a rebellious. It was known as rebellious and violent group of people um, in the Clone Wars series. They are the people who are like a splinter group. Uh, when the Mandalorians have their civil war and the new, what are called the new Mandalorians take over the planet Mandalore, those new Mandalorians <clears throat> are pacifists. And so the splinter group of Death Watch are the people who believe in the warrior ways of the Ma Mandalorian people. So um, they were actually led by um, Pre Vizsla, who was a descendant of Tar Vizsla, who was the first Mandalorian Jedi that we talked about a few episodes ago. So um, that's the there's a a dark saber connection there, but um, yeah. they it was interesting to me that 
you know, they in the Clone Wars, they end up teaming up with Darth Maul and, um, you know, it gets kind of dark there. Um, and actually, there's a, another splinter group that that comes off of that. But never in the Clone Wars were we given the sense that Death Watch were a noble <laughs> group of people. Uh, so the fact that they were here seemingly coming to this village's rescue was quite interesting. So the way that we knew that they were Death Watches on their um, armor, they had the um, Mythosaur uh, symbol. So the Mythosaur was, uh, or was it a Mythosaur? No, the Mythosaur is the, um, like the skull, mm -hmm, but right. the Death Watch has the, um, what's it called? The Pterosaur, which is like the right. the pterodactyl type mm -hmm. uh, animal that we talked about before. I, I think that's what that is. So, um, yeah, so very big surprise. And there's another spot where I was feeling the redemption vibe uh, in watching this. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so cool. They're like actually doing something good. Maybe this is their way back. In well, did we did we get a connection yet? Because we talked in, or like in the first or well, one of the first episodes um, that I think, Angela, you, you had mentioned how um, is it uh, was it Paz Vizsla that he's listed mm -hmm. in the credits? You know, like the heavy armored, you know, Mandalorian from this show. Oh, right. So, but we're not clear on what his connection is. Uh, and, right. And actually, I, I didn't realize this. I just looked it up. Um, the guy in the actual suit is the guy from the very first scene in the first episode who's like taunting him and, you yeah. know, you spilled my drink. It's actually the same guy that's that's in that armor. But I guess he's voiced, though, by John Favreau again. Right. Mm -hmm. But John Favreau mm -hmm. is like the voice of the Vizslas here, apparently. He like is in, the Vizsla voice. Canon. But, I, but I'm not too clear yet on what that connection would be, you know, like nephew, something like in the timeline. We're talking like 20 years or so now later right. i would think right so right know. because or actually uh, more than that it's it's like more like 30 years yeah so maybe like in a future episode of our podcast we can get into like maybe where the Vizsla family <laughs> went from right. there because uh that's that's a whole area of speculation we could get into so right well and so does that mean um Sort of, do we infer that that this group of Mandalorians on Navarro are a descendant of Death Watch? Uh, it's possible, which is kind of what I said, like you could have a, dis a discussion on whether that's true or not. But there was a, like I said, a splinter group that did not believe in the um, how far Death Watch was going to go. Uh, and they were led by Bo-Katan, who um, is the one that ended up having the, the dark saber later on down the line. So, um yeah, we it's not really clear whether yeah. they these guys are like Death Watch or not. OK, well, what we do know is that they rescued Din and yeah, um, that uh, so he was he's, he tells Kara and grief that he was taken in by the Mandalorians and treated as one of their own. Um, and then he says that when he was of age, he was sworn to the creed and that the only record of his birth name is with the registers of Mandalore. And he said that uh, Moff Gideon was an ISB officer during the Purge, which is an Imperial Security Bureau officer. Um, and and that was how Din knew that, he, that 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 was Moff Gideon and that he knew who Din was. So don't really know how that all kind of played out. But 
Um, and at that point, Din also concludes that the child must have somehow gotten away because Moff Gideon, Moff Gideon hadn't killed them yet and still needed them. And he manages to get IG-11 on the comm because he's trying to get a hold of Quill to, to see what's happening with, with the child and learns that uh, Quill is dead and IG-11 has custody of the child. And then the scene shifts to IG-11 and the child and they storm the city, which was a phenomenal sequence. It's just so great. (laughs) But such the wrong thing to do. Like, why is he bringing the child into the city? (laughs) This is like, go the other way, IG-11, go. And 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 I and I was kind of trying to think about that because IG eleven at at various points in this episode makes it clear that his base programming is to basically protect the child, um and and so the only way that he would determine that going into this city with the child would be is that he's determined that this is the best way to protect the child, right? Yeah, so he had to eliminate every everyone that would be after him, to, right? To truly yeah. protect them, yeah, right. So. He I, IG eleven wants to connect up with with uh, Din and the rest of the crew and takes out a bunch of stormtroopers along the way. Um, at this point, the fight is breaking out. And did you guys notice grief taking shots? Yes, yeah, in the cantina. Yeah. I can't blame him. You know, like you just need a little yeah. liquid courage right before you go out and do that. And I also like the way he shoots because it is funny sometimes to see. You know, and this is I'm I'm not some expert marksman, but as a, as a former, you know, army guy, I do laugh sometimes and you just see like some actors clearly know how to shoot and some don't. Uh-huh. And and he, he has more of like, it looks more like a little kid. Like he's really jerking the, the like, like the, like jerking the ray gun, you know, kind of thing. And it's just, it's just kind of cute. As an aside here, I don't know if you know this, but apparently there is a really big issue with having to cut out sounds that people make when they are shooting uh, these blaster pistols. <laughs> and so there, you know, there was a big over the lightsabers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but it was so, so with the blasters too. So as these people, as actors are shooting the blasters, they're making actual <laughs> pew, 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 pew noises. <laughs> and those have to be fixed to the mouth or the, the angle or something has to be fixed. Oh my gosh. So. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> it would be so difficult to be an actor, I think. <laughs> but even, even yeah, I'm that, not like, gonna I, judge. I just, I just love like you know, even that like you know, I mean, Carl Weathers is, I don't know, he's in his seventies now, I think, at this point, right? And it's just like, isn't it? So it's just so joyful, like the idea of like being able to to be in this universe and just knowing how much fun these people have with it. You know, it really is. It, it's just great. I love that. Still, still being an action hero at that point, you know, like yeah, that's the, just, here you go. It's, and he survives a fight too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. The best Carl Weathers moment uh was was also one of the best baby Yoda moments when he oh. when he asked him to do do the magic hand thing and, and, and he just waves he just waves at him. <laughs> yeah, that was the best scene. I think yeah, I think that was my favorite uh child scene where he just waves yeah. his hand. <laughs> Um, so this fight is, is breaking out and Din picks up the, the E-Web blaster and, and is, uh, taking down stormtroopers right and left and Moff Gideon in his cool, calm, unhinged sort of way walks into the battle scene as if any, nothing else really matters. Um, and he faces off against Din and rather or he shoots him to get his attention. And then rather than shooting him directly again, he shoots that, that box of components uh are uh, probably filled with uh it's a battery pack there you go mm. yep um 
the nerd here knows the specs like have yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the battery pack for the e-web <laughs> the e-web right <laughs> well you can see the look on his face too you know uh he it's just that recurring thing with him like he is not afraid not concerned not not he doesn't clearly doesn't feel threatened whatsoever by any of them you know and that just adds to his as, as grief cargo says later villainy we get that word back mm-hmm. in star wars again so yeah that makes him more creepy um so that that explodes uh and injures din uh with a with a concussion and and he's and he's bleeding and Kara pulls him back into the cantina and she grief and IG-11 and the child have all retreated back into that cantina. And IG-11 is able to break through the sewer grate, which was which was awesome. Uh, Grief Cargo <laughs> makes some some comment about the fact that how much he loves IG units for that. Yeah. Um, and Kara shows immense loyalty to, to Din in this moment. She is very concerned for him and wants to uh, take a look at his wounds and, and help him. And Din refuses and more or less tells tells her that it's her her and grief's responsibility to take the child to safety and that it's her responsibility to to let him die there rather than uh, take his helmet off or try to help him. Um, So their their friendship was was really cool to watch because, I mean, they 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 have such a intense connection um, even though they they don't really they they haven't known each other very long, but they're they're sort of kindred spirits. Um, and so Din gives Kara the the little Mandalorian symbol, the the Mythosaur necklace, um, to basically she tells her to to give that to the to the Mandalorians when they find them in the sewers, because then they'll they'll help her. And then we have the flame trooper who comes and arrives and. Is what a cool, cool shot, <laughs> right? <laughs> like slow mo oh, and just yeah, yeah. Add add the intensity, add the anxiety, and uh, and then the child uh, comes to the rescue because he has that final kind of uh, shot of the flamethrower into the building, and the the child just kind of uses the force and stops it and projects it back towards the the flame trooper. And then he falls asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Took a lot of effort, man. <laughs> he had an exciting day at that point. Good grief. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's when I that's when I got really kind of worried about Din because I was like, oh well, Baby Yoda's probably gonna heal him. But then after mm-hmm. doing that, yep. he was kind of spent. I'm like, oh, like <laughs> well, how does he get out of this one? Well, that's uh coming exactly. coming right up. Uh Kara Grief and the child all uh, escape into the sewers. And um, IG-11 uh, comes over to, to Din and uh, finds finds the loophole in the creed in order to, to take off his helmet. Uh, Din says, quote, no living thing has seen me without my helmet since I swore the creed, unquote. And IG-11 points out that he is not a living thing. And so he's able to remove the helmet. And so us as the audience, we all get to see pedro pascal's face under the helmet and ig11 um applies that back to healing spray to him to 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 help him get healed after that the the scenes kind of swap swap back to um care and grief down in the sewers and 
pretty much immediately IG and Din catch up. And they go on the hunt for the, the Mandalorian covert that's somewhere down in those in those sewer tunnels. And then they come across a uh, incredibly devastating sight: the the collection of Mandalorian helmets from from the fallen warriors. And the armor arrives, and so we know that she at least survived, and tells them all that the Imperials were essentially the reason behind the the deaths, and that the the Mandalorians chose to reveal themselves, and and this is the the result of of all the fighting. So just to make a point here a lot of people i think have been talking about how the scene at the beginning of this episode with the stormtroopers and their horrible aim um totally goes against the idea that the imperials came in and wiped out mm. a group of mandalorians but i think you can buy into this idea because um the the death troopers yeah. are yeah. still quite intimidating and we've seen um here as well as in Rogue One um that they and in Rebels too that they are good shots. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and I'm sure that, that there's other ranks of uh troopers that, you know, had better aim, such as uh Bill Burr's character, um yeah. <laughs> in this in this series so um i think it is it is plausible that well, and, and it, it happened the empire never wins by just out shooting their opponents they win right, by right, just right. numbers it's mm-hmm. just throw as many stormtroopers as you can somewhere in there they're gonna miss and hit someone you know it's they're gonna miss their intended target <laughs> yeah, and hit somebody. one of the other guys in the line you know <laughs> it's gonna happen and that's and that's kind of always been the the empire's mentality is um uh just throw as much firepower as you can at the thing and it will eventually solve the problem. Yeah. Um, we get some interesting dialogue uh, between the armor and Din at this point. Uh, Din invites uh, the armor to, to come with them, but she, she decides that she needs to stay back and salvage which what remains of the Mandalorian armor. And, uh, and can I just say there's like an entire series of, of, what happened there that needs to happen (laughs) because first off like you know like you were saying angela she is such an amazing character Mm, and you know and and sometimes i'm very i'm very i I understand that sometimes the really interesting stuff is the stuff that doesn't get said that you build (laughs) you know it's the the hemingway's iceberg theory where 10 percent of the story is what's told and then the other 90 percent is what the reader has to kind of make up on their own and that's what we've got going on here. But oh my gosh, why is the armor piled up in the in the hallway? Why is she still alive? Because she's obviously the bravest out of a lot of them. But she works the forge, and she had to stay there, so they didn't make it down there to her. Did she go out and get it and bring it back? Like, I want to know this story. <laughs> I really do want to know what happened now. <laughs> my theory is that she there's something in the code of the Mandalorians that the armor must make sure that they survive. In order to, um, because it seems like she's very central to the covert when we do see them alive. Um, and obviously the Beskar is very sacred to the Mandalorians. So it must be something about like sacred ritual. Like the priest has to, um, I don't know, guard the Eucharist or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, like, so, I mean, Obviously, she can fight. We see that. 
Yeah. But I, I just wonder if maybe it's a case where she has to, um, to, to guard those skills only when, when it requires that she defend what is left of right. the covert. Well, then you'll notice when she does fight, she doesn't fight with um, blasters. So <laughs> right. that was, yeah. I, I thought that was a really big deal. It tells you a lot about that character. too. She was also quite impressive in that fight scene. Yeah. Oh man. Like, wow. <laughs> she didn't need the blasters. Right. <laughs> yeah. So she, she has, she has an interaction with, uh, the child. Um, and, uh, we, we hear that she at least knows of, of the Jedi and of the, the, the force and, and the powers that the Jedi have. And, um, uh, and I'm going to quote her here because I just, I thought this was an, an awesome quote. She said, the songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore, the great, and an order of sorcerers called Jedi that brought that brought with such powers. So there's a that fought with such powers. That, I, wrote, I wrote down oh, that, that quote fought. too. Yes, <laughs> I must have had an autocorrect there. So we we hear of whoever Mandalore the Great is, and that he um, fought with with Jedi, and I assume that must have been before the first Mandalorian Jedi. And I'm blanking on the Vizsla's first name. Yeah, so Mandalore the Great, it is, I guess with this, they've made it canon, as far as I know, that um, in Legends, it was said that Mandalore the Great was the first Mandalorian. But now with this, with her statement, they've actually made that canon. So there have been references in Star Wars before that the Jedi fought the Mandalorians and the Jedi won that war. So um, they're just referencing that, but she kind of like put it all together for us in this awesome quote. And we're talking way, 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 way Long back, time ago. like <laughs> yeah. old Republic type. Eons way past. Back. Yeah. <laughs> we then get a, an interaction uh, with uh, the Creed again uh, and the child and the armor tells, tells Din that by Creed, it is in your care, meaning the child is in your care. And so apparently one of the, one of the things, one of the policies of the creed is that if they rescue a foundling, it's um, until it is of age or reunited with its own kind, you are as its father. And is anybody else just dying to see like some season two flashbacks or reconnections or whatever? Like who was the guy who pulled him out of the pit? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I would love right. to see like what was that sort of like you know Obi Wan and Luke or like uh, Tobias Beckett and Han Solo like this is another one of these father and son you know adoptive kind of you know mentorship or, you know, apostolic well, <laughs> like training kind yeah. of kind of things and and it's obviously it's it's going to shape the way he relates to the child so I, I feel like that's going to have to kind of become more filled in which would be really kind of cool to see if they if they do anything more with that oh i want to see the young den uh jetpack training man that's gotta, <laughs> yes. that's, yeah it's gotta come in <laughs> i just i loved his like his his sort of like are you kidding me kind of attitude when he basically delivers <laughs> that lens of like, you want me to take him to a planet you know and <laughs> deliver him to a race of enemy sorcerers <laughs> like, she's when you like put it, when you put this it that is way, the way right and it's like i knew you were gonna say that of course you're gonna say that <laughs> Yes, this is the way. Okay. <laughs> well, and that it's, was, it's like it's like Catholic grandmother saying, "Offer it up." I knew you were going to say that. How am I going to argue with you? I can't. Right. <laughs> but I suspect that that's 
going to be more or less the the summary of where where season two is going is is the search for uh the the species of of the child the home world of of him and bringing him back or or learning about them in some fashion um i i liked how this explicitly made din the father though of the mm-hmm. child he's not just you know, uh, kind of shepherding him around, but he's now sort of adopted the name of father to the child. Um, we also have the the giving of the signet at this point. Uh, the armor gives Din the signet that uh, of the Mudhorn, which I had to kind of watch that a second yeah. time to even figure out what what that was all about. Well, he refused it the first time yep. because the the child helped, mm-hmm. and and now she realizes. That's not the way it went down. What happened was this foundling that was his responsibility at that point uh, assisted him in and was basically part of the training. That was part of the training program for the foundling. And so it counts. That's totally justified at that point. And does anybody else notice how like the skull part of it, because I'm looking at the picture now, like you have the horn, obviously on the left, but like the skull part of it, I just, maybe I'm, it's a stretcher. It really looks like, the child's ear a little, like a little bit to me. I don't know enough so that it, cause it's cute. Cause right as it's first revealed and she says, you know, now you're a clan of two. Like it was just kind of uh, cool. Like all that, like they're their own tribe now. Yeah. I just, I really liked that. I had written down that um, when he was talking to her, Din was talking to her. He actually changed his, uh, to what you were saying, Thomas, he changed his wording. So at first when he was talking to her about that mud horn encounter, he said he was talking about it differently, right? But this time he said the child saved me, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that's a di- that's a diff that you can see that his attitude and his whole mindset has changed now. Yeah, and the mud horde now becomes a symbol of of their relationship, and not just a victory that Din had over over an enemy. We also get the giving of the rising phoenix. Uh, the jetpack. Love the names. Yeah. Love the names. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the names are so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, okay, we'll talk about this at the end, but it has so much to do with the ending of this episode. Like, I think mm. that's why they named it the Rising yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. I will say that I was I was surprised at how quickly we got to see him use it. Because I, I kept even at this point thinking, oh, he's still injured, but the the Bacta was working quicker than I expected. Um, so he receives the jetpack and um, IG Eleven has to carry it for him, which uh, was was the the relationship there was really cool to see too between mm-hmm. Din and IG Eleven. How uh, and again, I was like I said, I was re-listening to our Chapter Seven episode discussion and just the the whole notion of of Din looking at IG Eleven episodes ago as simply a killing machine to to the point where he's at now where he's obviously developed a sense of of camaraderie with ig11 and um, he's carrying his his jetpack for him and uh considers him a valued member of the team at this point right he has rescued the child and not done so selfishly or, or anything or killed him which is what din expected but he has proven himself to be a valuable asset to to their group. Yeah, it's very obviously influenced by uh, T2, Judgment Day. 
yeah. especially especially IG Eleven's final scene is almost exactly like the Terminator's final scene right. in, in that movie. Um, so it's you see that you see uh, that dynamic between him and Din, where Din kind of just sees him, like you said, as a part of the team, and you know doesn't really see him as just a droid anymore. We were just missing IG reaching over and saying, I know now why you cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, that's too far. That's <laughs> Yeah, that would have been a bit much, I think. <laughs> we sort of got a... a... It was close. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was I've almost analyzed sad. your voice. You're sad. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's, that's coming up. The, the armor sends all of them off to, to the lava river, which will hopefully lead them out to, to the flats to escape uh, the Imperials. And that is then when the armorer takes out that squad of troopers that finds her. And she was quite, quite efficient about it. And again, so I, I want a whole why. series about her. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and somebody, somebody was saying that, that, um, like the, the Boatman River sticks kind of feel for the, yeah. the lava. Yeah. So, yeah. Someone why was talking is anybody living it. on this planet? I saw this horrible. hilarious review where they talked about like the absolute like nightmare quality of the, the R2 unit. The yeah. legs and arms. I was like, it's, this is kind of creepy. It, it, it really was when it kind of stands up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I looked up the Greek uh, stuff. So um, there was actually five. According to the source I was reading, there were five rivers that went to the underworld in Ooh. Greek mythology. Uh, there was one that was a stream of fire. And there was another, oh, and violent offenders were plunged into that that uh, lava river. Mm. And there was another one called the Archeron River, which had an old ferryman that would ferry the dead to Hades. So uh, that reminded me of our astromech mm. gondolier. And uh, I don't know if you caught it, but he was kind of like if you if you watch it with uh, subtitles, it says he w there was rhythmic chirping that the the <laughs> astromech was making. It was like he was, he was a singing gondolier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he was. Wow. Yeah, he was yep. whistling the whole time they were going down. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, I I was totally picking up on on some of those themes too. Um, they, they do manage to get into this boat and this R2 unit starts to, to kind of get them to go down, down the river. And, uh, they, through the, their, their visors can see outside the, the entrance of the, the cave out to the flats that they can see that there are stormtroopers flanking the mouth of the cave, um, at their escape point. And IG-11 steps up and offers to take out the stormtroopers by self-destructing. And I was, again, listening to our, our previous episode, we had uh, talked about just even IG-11's self-destructing uh, necessity from from right. the very first episode and how he was so paranoid about it and just wanted to self-destruct right away. And uh, and and Din is like, no, no, we're going to shoot our way out. Uh, but in this scene, he is very rational about it and collected and re and he reasons through it and knows exactly what he's going to do and offers all of that to to Din. And we have <laughs> some of the, the 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 sad emotions come out of Din at that point. And that and, and IG actually uh, right before he, he gets out of the boat to go to go forward, he, he pets the child. Goodbye. Which which was really makes really, you wonder. Yeah, huh. is that part of his programming or something else? Evolution, a little bit of soul. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, and that's I, I, it's amazing that they've that they really embrace this one because everywhere else in the Star Wars saga, it's it, it, even even with um, well, I don't want to I don't want to spoil stuff uh, for the movie in case anybody hasn't seen it yet. But uh, you know, even even with the way they dealt with the droids in the latest movie, there was mm-hmm. not this level of uh, of emotion around around them and what what it means to be a droid in this uh, in this world of of, uh, of living beings. They weren't just mm-hmm. objects of use, but they mm-hmm. were they were beings in their own right. So IG uh, sacrifices himself for the team. He he steps out and uh, self destructs and takes out all the all the stormtroopers. Which again is, I mean, he he uses a, the base programming to to justify what he's doing. That this is the best way for the child to survive. Um, but it again ties ties into the, the just the Catholic themes of of sacrifice out of love, you know. And if we're gonna look at IG as as more than just the programming, that um, there there's a little bit of love in there too. And so he's uh, sacrificing himself, laying down his life for the love of um, the child and and of his friends. They escape the cave at that point, and we have the dramatic fight with. Moff Gideon who attacks in his TIE fighter. <laughs> that seems so great. It's just absolute chaos and insanity of strapping a jetpack on to go after a TIE fighter. Uh... I, I was waiting. I was waiting for it all season and, and I almost oh, yeah. forgot because of the intensity of that episode. But, you know, I remember like when I saw episode six, episode seven, I was like, there wasn't there something in like the trailer where they like him like dangling off a tie fighter like that has yeah. to be coming soon. So yeah, it was so yeah. cool. Oh my gosh! Well, and just he's not he's not a force user, you know. So you, this is the kind of thing you expect of right. a Jedi, right? Like oh right. yeah, jump on the back of a tie fighter. Yeah, sure, fine, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Kanan right. did it or Ezra or something. Right. Rebels, yeah. Like, yeah, it's been done, yeah. but not that. It's way. been done, but not by a non-force user. Yeah. And and you see it play out, you, you know, it's just like, wow, this is, this is possibly not a good idea. <laughs> well, and that, that, that brings up a, a point that I don't know. I don't know if I should even ask this question or not, but is Din potentially force sensitive to some degree? Isn't everybody now, though? I don't right? kind of. know. <laughs> I mean, I don't want him to real. be. I want him to just no, be that uh, awesome. You know, I mean, that's like yeah. that's, that's <laughs> so cool. Like, just he's and he's got this like complete abandon to to it. Like, uh, it, yes, he's been trained in the thing, right? But even even he says, yeah. I, I mean, I did it a long time ago. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, yeah, I, I think I know how to ride a bike. Um, <laughs> but then here's your bike. Go do this BMX course, and um, and you know we'll see you on the other end. Right. And you're like, okay, and, and that's, that's basically what he does. He just, he straps it on and goes to town and that's, and you see all of his ingenuity has to come out. He has to use every resource that he has. Uh, and it's still, you're not really sure what kind of note this uh, series is going to end on. right mm-hmm. here. Yeah. To me, it was a very fatherly um, attitude that he seemed to have, you know, the desperation of a father who just wants to get rid of this threat, you know, um, that's, that's how I saw it. And, uh, since we're talking about the, the rising Phoenix now, like to me, this image was so cool because we just had, you know, like the Phoenix, the, the mythological Phoenix bird is that bird that 
uh, has to do with the sun. And there's this idea that it has a long life and then it dies in flames and from its ashes, it is reborn. And I just thought I saw that right in front of my eyes. Like you see IG-11 burst into flames. And then after that, you see Din rising up, you know, in this kind of like new life that he has, like, I'm the dad, I've got to save the day kind of thing. Um, so he kind of takes over that, like, the nurse droid has died. And now like the real protector has to step up. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I just I loved that. And just the idea that um, the Phoenix has also like been used in like ancient Christian uh, symbology to represent the the resurrection as well. Um, so you did get that sense of like, you know, the death of, you know, IG-11 did kind of make his self-sacrifice, even though he's, he's a droid. Um, and you get like, again, like the, the, I, it's almost like the savior of the child sort of mm-hmm. coming up from that life. So, well, and he's, and, and the, the really beautiful moment here is that, uh, Din's not the foundling anymore. He's the Mandalorian. And, and mm-hmm. like. That that was the thing that really struck me is like this whole uh this whole season you've been seeing him as the foundling. Like he's the he's the young one, he's the odd one out, he's the one that's trying to prove himself. He's not that anymore. Now he really is. He's stepped into his own and he has to be the, the trainer for this new foundling. And so he's gotta he's gotta step up to the plate and he's gotta be the guy. Yeah, because who knows how many other Mandalorians are out there. I mean, we have no idea if this was the only covert of mandalorians and maybe there's some that escaped the empire but yeah i mean he could be the mandalorian literally Mm. who knows hopefully those things are explored in season two um so this the the whole uh scene concludes with uh the crash um the tie fighter crash and uh din makes it back to to his ship and we we hear that kara has decided to to stay back on Navarro and so does grief and Din, yeah, fully accepts his role as, as father of the child and, and knows that he has to focus on that and not on bounty hunting. And then we have a, a very brief, brief moment there where he buries Queel, which was, was very good. I mean, that's, that's very much again in line with even Catholic uh, thought of the respect for, for the body and, and death. And then he leaves in the razor, razor crest with the child. And we find uh, that the child has the mythosaur necklace around his neck, which I thought was very appropriate and symbolic of the clan that they are now. And the final, final scene of the episode is we... (laughs) Oh, so we're going to actually start the episode now, right? We're going to (laughs) talk? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Moff Gideon didn't die in that crash. And he escapes out of the cockpit with uh, the help of the Darksaber. So he's apparently cheated death <laughs> yeah. twice. I love I, some somebody. I just love some reviews somebody had where they 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 mentioned that moment and they're just like, you know, and if you know anything about it, you're like, no, you put that back. You put that back. <laughs> and like, just the instant, like we don't know how he got it, but however he got it, oh, that's not okay. Like you do not have that. <laughs> it was funny. Was it just me, or was the CGI kind of weird on it? I felt like. It, I don't know. I wasn't expecting to see it. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I remember watching it. and I'm like, yeah, the CGI is kind of wonky. 
uh, on the on the actual saber. But I mean, could it just be? I've, could it be because it's so? I don't. We've only ever seen it in an animation. An animated, right? I don't yeah. know. It's and almost yeah. like he's holding. It's like Roger Rabbit, you know. Like sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe we're just. I wasn't ready to see I, it. Yeah. At least it was good enough to know right away. Like, oh, that's the dark saber. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's meant yeah. to be like a blade versus like right. the the cylindrical yeah. uh, lightsaber beam. Yeah. So, so in Rebels, um, Kane and Jarrus tells. Sabine Wren, who is training with the Darksaber, he tells her that it's actually, it's a current of power. Right. So it's it's not, like, it looks like it could be a retractable, like, metal thing, but somehow it is, like, a current of power, energy, whatever. So, but it's, it, it is weird. I, I think... There's so many people that have been kind of like dissatisfied with how it looks, but it's kind of like, well, it's sort of paradoxical because it's mm-hmm. a dark lightsaber. Right. <laughs> like, it, how it do really, you do that? It really seems like the kind of lightsaber a Mandalorian Jedi would make. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, God forbid they make one like everybody else. You know, it's like it has to be this <laughs> right. totally different thing. <laughs> Well, and I think it, you you run into two issues there. Like, like everything looks weird when you've gotten used to it a certain way. Yeah. And so, you know, like especially after watching the Clone Wars, and then you come back and watch the, um, uh, you know, uh, Revenge of the Sith, and it's it, it looks bizarre seeing the droids in mm-hmm. real life as opposed to cartoony, uh, yeah. cartoony kind of thing you've gotten used to. And so, I think we're going to experience that. Um, at first initially with this, but I, I think they made a really good decision because there was there was a real question about what it was that he was using, unless you actually knew exactly what it was and you were ready for it. Oh, as it ties into the Mandalorians, this thing has to exist. It could have just been like a knife, you know, like a really specialized kind of like, uh, I don't know, uh, yeah. safety knife or vibra knife or something like that that, that cut out. And um, I'll admit, I didn't even realize what it was at first. I had to go back and like... Uh, read a couple of reviews and then go, Oh yeah, that's right. Cause it's been so long since I watched mm. the Clone Wars that, um, you know, I didn't even know. And so I was like, my kids were like, what is that thing? And I'm like, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Let's go, <laughs> let's go figure that out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it was good because it, it sets, uh, people who aren't like as steeped in the lore as, uh, some of us might be. Uh, can still see okay well it's something special it's not a lightsaber it's very obviously not a lightsaber and that's I, I like that aspect of it that it it was very clearly not a lightsaber but as we find out more about it we'll find out you know why it is so much like a lightsaber even though it's mm-hmm. not and it showed up in, in Rebels quite a bit too uh, Angela you had mentioned Sabine Wren had it and um, I think the last that we saw it was it was was it given to, to Bo, Bo-Katan 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 to unite yeah the tribes but that's like mm-hmm. the last that we saw of it and that was right was that on mandalore yes okay. that was on mandalore um yeah so i actually went back tonight and i um i watched trials of the dark saber uh so that i could listen to what keenan tells her about the dark saber itself um because I know y'all are y'all are talking about this. Like my sister watched the Mandalorian, and then she was like, 
what is it? Is he force sensitive? Like, is he, can he, like, how can he have this and use it? You know, so um, for casual fans who like are kind of confused about this. So basically the concept is that you can be proficient with a lightsaber, any lightsaber, um, but you can't, if you're, if you're not force sensitive, uh, you can't fight like a Jedi would. Um, but Kanan does say that the force resides in all living things. You just have to be open to it. Um, and, uh, you have to find balance within yourself in order to use it like a Jedi. Um, so actually in that episode, you see Sabine working with the dark saber and she herself is, um, not in balance and you see it actually kind of like, um, almost do a fizzy thing like how Kylo Ren's lightsaber does. So you can kind of see that there is conflict within her and it actually shows in the, in the blade itself. So he tells, uh, Kanan tells Sabine, you're not so much fighting with a blade as you are directing a current of power. Your thoughts, your actions, they become energy. They flow through the crystal as well and become a part of the blade. And we're also told that um, as you connect with the blade, it becomes lighter. It becomes part of you. So uh, it was established in that episode that the Darksaber was really old, really heavy, um, but also very powerful. So those are basically the things that we know about the Darksaber besides the history that we've kind of touched on here and there in this episode, but then also we talked about a lot in um, chapter three, uh, the podcast that we did on chapter three of The Mandalorian, uh, The Sin, uh, which is when we talked about Paz Vizsla and the connection that it has with uh, Clan Vizsla. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, we've basically just kind of summed up what the Darksaber is. So, yeah, I was shocked when I saw it. It was a really cool reveal. And listeners, stay tuned because we, uh, since uh, this is kind of a preview for what's to come, but uh, since The Mandalorian is finished with its season uh, currently, we plan to to jump back to some of the Clone Wars and Rebels to kind of trace some of the lore and the history of how those series connected to The Mandalorian and Mandalorians in general. So we're going to kind of jump back. Uh, to some of those episodes going forward in the podcast as we wait for some of the other series to to hit Disney Plus, like uh, Clone Wars Season 7, which is debuting in February, um, the upcoming um, Season 2 of Ma- The Mandalorian, uh, which is going to be released this coming fall. And um, yeah, the, the Cassian Andor series and the Obi-Wan Kenobi series as well. So uh, with that, uh, just I, I guess a, a few other kind of random points uh, from from the the season as a whole. One of the one of the questions that that we all still sort of have is um, whether or not the character from uh, Chapter Five at the very end of Chapter Five, the character that approaches the body of Fennec, um, whether or not who is that? Will they play a role in season two, or was that just a uh, a throwaway sort of scene? Um. Yeah, season two is coming this fall, so uh, be prepared for that. And John Favreau actually teased season two with a picture of a Gamorrean. So mm-hmm. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, yeah, oh, check yeah. out his check out his right. Instagram and Twitter. It's, it, 
uh, it could mean any number of things, but I suspect we might see a Gamorian in the in the in season two. Um, what do you guys have any final thoughts uh, regarding chapter eight of the Mandalorian? I just think the um, something we had talked about before and it's come up a few times. I, I just think this episode and this really this whole show has done something so much better than you know something I think Thomas brought up in the. Um, last or in the yeah last Jedi in the uh Rise of Skywalker review of you know it it's the stakes are real. Um and and with you know Kuil and with um IG eleven and and possibly others, you know, I mean like when that uh, bounty hunter zooming in on the child at the end of the sanctuary episode, like I actually thought it was possible he was gonna get killed and this it was gonna mm-hmm. become like a revenge show. Like but, you know, and I, like Andrew mentioned, too, you know, with, with like 3PO and, and, and some of the stuff in Rise of Skywalker, as much I, as I did enjoy it, it's like, yeah, but nothing like how high were the stakes, really? And that's like this epic, like galaxy wide kind of thing where this isn't. But it's just I just feel like this is more believable. And because of that, I, I tend to enjoy this more. I'm more invested in it, I think, just as as a story. So uh, that's that's really all I wanted to add that and I clearly Moff Gideon's trying to be the new Vader. You know, like yeah, I love yeah. that shot, you know, up with this cape and the like the chest plate. Like, what is that? You know, <laughs> well, he's, so. he's doing a darn good job of it, too, man. He really is. Like, I'm convinced. Oh, wow. Wow. And do you think like, you think he do you think he character. wants the child for some sort of like force mm. blood transfusion or something? I, I'm that's my guess. He's trying to get he's trying to make himself force sensitive. Who knows? <laughs> Anybody else? Any final thoughts? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Dr. Pershing again mm. uh, and figuring out what is up with uh, the client as well as Gideon saying that this is that this child means a lot to them personally. Like, what right. is this? <laughs> yep. So, yeah, um, it's very exciting. And also, Mandalorians have got to be sweating in their uniforms like all the time because I've been wearing this cape, <laughs> this fake fur cape through just our podcast in my air conditioned apartment. And I'm like sweating. Well, especially on Navarro, where it's covered in lava. Like <laughs> <laughs> that planet has to be horrible. There must be some air conditioned unit inside. Yeah, some little fans going. Well, know, see, my justification is always th- they're in space, right? So it's always it's always cold in space. So that's yeah, but. <laughs> that's true. I have a a, a Jango Fett uh, plaster, more or less, kind of helmet. But uh, there's actually there's a built in uh, the the guy who made it for me um, put in a, a fan, and then it's it's a like a power USB power uh, cell powered, and yeah, those things get really hot. So. <laughs> Okay. I'm interested to yeah. see if uh, if Moff Gideon is going to be the main villain of season two, or if he's just going to be one of those villains that's kind of like the big bad, and they save you know they save him for the last season, um, all the way up to the last season, or um, or if they resolve his story uh, within season two, because obviously a show like this with its success, we could be looking at multiple seasons. Who knows? But uh, I'll be interested to see what kind of what kind of role he plays in season two, because. You know, is he the only one really that's after uh, this baby odor creature or are there others? Um, we'll see. I mean, is he going to hire is he I mean, is he going to hire other bounty hunters like in season one to go after um, uh, Din and the child or 
um, you know, all those questions, you know, I can't wait to find out. I, I'd like to know um, if Taiko Atiti is going to be back. Uh, that's that's my real. I I <laughs> want more and more and more story from him in the Star Wars universe. He did such a great job with uh, IG Eleven and that whole that whole plot line. And um, his jabs are so like the, the little jokes that he throws into everything are just so great and uh, subtle. And at the same time, just like hit you like a truck when you realize what they're saying. You're like, oh, my gosh, that's that's it almost it almost takes you out of the story. But then it draws you right back into it, too. I want more than eight episodes in season two. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh. Oh my gosh! But we'll see. Well, remember, there, but remember, there was that spot in the middle where we're all kind of like, okay, when are we going to get back to this, uh, <laughs> yeah. this plot line? And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, 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 stop, stop, yeah. <laughs> expand it a little bit more. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we'll see where it goes. Okay, well, that's it from us. And what did you guys think of episode eight of The Mandalorian? Be sure to email us or comment on our Facebook or Twitter page and let us know. You can email us feedback at starwars at sqpn.com and you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia and on Twitter at sqpn. And now we'd like to take just a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars, including Per H, Lisa H, Stephen H, Patrick S, and Robert B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows that we create here at StarQuest. And you can join them by going to sqpn.com slash give. Also, of course, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And of course, you can also follow us on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of The Secrets of Star Wars, please visit sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And now that The Mandalorian is finished, we are going to be moving into a bi-weekly podcast until uh, one of the other uh, shows uh, releases with a uh, weekly consistency. And that would not include um, The Clone Wars, even though it will be released weekly. Those are shorter episodes that we're going to take two at a time when we review them. So we're going to be doing a bi-weekly um, episodes going forward, um, probably up until The Mandalorian Season 2 hits or if one of the other live action shows uh, drop before then. So next week we will begin chasing down some of the lore that was introduced in The Mandalorian. And so we are going to jump back into The Clone Wars, the animated series. And we will be looking at uh, Season 2, Episodes 12, 13, and 14. The Mandalore Plot, Voyage of Temptation, and The Duchess of Mandalore. So go back and watch those episodes if you haven't seen them, and join us next time as we review them. And so until then, Andrew Hermes, thank you so much for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Wars. Thank you. Looking forward to uh, the uh, new uh, direction of the show. Awesome. Thomas Sanherjo, thanks for joining us this evening. It was nice to be here. Angela Cialana. Thanks for all your input tonight. Thank you. Great to be here. And Mike Creevy, thanks for joining us. Can't wait for more. (laughs) And once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest.